My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. It's simple. Kill the Batman. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Hello and welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. My name is James Blatch and it's a happy birthday to us because this is podcast number 10. We've reached double figures, a milestone in our own little way. Uh, a slightly different podcast for this, um, what should we say, 10th anniversary uh, edition in that we are not going to discuss a particular topic area. We've got a couple of interviews for you this time around. I'm also not joined by a co-host on this occasion, so I'll have to fill the pregnant pauses myself. Um, but the idea is of this podcast is to illustrate some of the work that the BBFC does around film classification, the wider remit, if you like. And of course, it's a changing landscape uh, with the online world. And that means that we are quite busy in helping to shape and inform the regulation and self-regulation areas as they evolve. However, we are going to start with the news segment, as we always do. And the first thing that I wanted to mention is the death of Michael Winner, who has died at the age of 77. Uh, What a film director in terms of the way that he divided opinion. He was someone who had his detractors, who thought that his violence in his films was gratuitous, and others who lauded him, particularly his early films, as being uh, an important narrative development in cinema. Uh, From a film classification point of view, I suppose Death Wish 3 was the peak in terms of violence. Um, I think the strongest of the Death Wish films. Uh, However, it was uncut originally in the cinema, but cut under the Video Recordings Act later when it was submitted on video uh, for the rape scene. In fact, it's uncut now, has been since 2005. Um, But looking back at some of those reviews on Death Wish 3, I guess the Death Wish vigilante theme had bedded in by then, and Charles Bronson's Paul Kersey character still shocking cinema goers, even in its third instalment, just by this basically being judge, jury and executioner himself and uh, Michael Winner himself dismissive in classic style of any criticism of the violence he said my sympathy is totally with the little old lady who gets bashed over the head with an iron bar not with the youngster who did it and gets sent to the south of France for six weeks to turn him into a lovely human being you can just hear Michael Winner saying that can't you Um, so we mourn the passing of Michael Winner a colourful character in British cinema Last time I saw him, a couple of years ago, in the back of his Rolls-Royce, of course, going down Greek Street here in Soho. Now, in terms of films that have been released since our last podcast, I should mention, I think, Django Unchained, because Quentin Tarantino's films always provoke a discussion about violence in the cinema. He's one of the few mainstream Hollywood directors who's routinely churning out 18 level films and indeed Django is an 18 which contains strong bloody violence. Reading through the critics there's been some criticism of the film's heavy use of the n-word throughout of course there's a contextual justification that's been raised by other critics pointing to the fact that this is clearly about the slave trade and that era And of course, violence is very much a part of the QT film. Some reviewers critical, bit of a bloodbath towards the end. And in fact, the original premiere of Django, I think think we may have mentioned this actually last time, which was mid-December in the United States, was postponed following the terrible shooting at uh, the Connecticut school. Finally, for the news segment, um, I wanted to mention the latest situation with HMV and Blockbuster, two big high street names here in the UK. You will have read in the news 
that both have gone into administration. Um, the news on HMV, from where I'm sitting now, which is the latter half of January, the news on HMV is actually more positive than it was a few days ago in that Hillco have taken over the UK operation. They own the Canadian operation uh, of HMV. They're a restructuring specialist and they've got it working in Canada and their aim, it seems, is to get HMV Uh, well, to continue trading with the company and get it into a smaller setup, but one that will continue for the longer term. Uh, Deloitte are the administrators, and they are saying positive noises at the moment in terms of uh, how Hillco could get full control of HMV in the UK. Uh, I suppose, to be fair, less positive about Blockbuster. Uh, On the same day, the UK operation went into administration. In the US, the firm closed 300 stores, a loss of about 3,000 jobs. Uh, The same administrator, Deloitte, and they simply say in terms of Blockbuster, they are looking for a buyer. So symptomatic, I suppose, principally of where we're buying our physical media, Blu-rays and DVDs and the like, and principally that is now taking place online. And underlying that, I suppose the fact that we're watching less physical media with the streaming, uh, various streaming options now available. So, a changing landscape, which brings me neatly on to our first interview, which is all about Safer Internet Day, or SID, as I'm told I can call it. Uh, Now, that takes place on February the 5th, which is in the future, from where I am now, but I realise this is a podcast, and you may be downloading this Uh, after the date. We have taken that into account and of course it's an ongoing campaign. It's just the day itself is about raising awareness and there's lots of events to tie into it. Now I was due to go to South London uh, on Monday of this week and speak to Will Gardner from Childnet International. Uh, In fact both Will and I were scuppered by the snow and so uh, we were going to rearrange and realise that the next day we were both going to the same meeting at the EU in Brussels. Now that meeting was all about making the internet a safer place for children. Uh, So it seemed uh, very appropriate that we took a step outside the room uh, in a break in that meeting and had a chat. And I asked Will to explain to me about his organisation and how Safer Internet Day actually is going to work. We are part of the UK Safer Internet Centre and there is a Safer Internet Centre in every EU country and one of the roles that the Safer Internet Centres have is they organise Safer Internet Day in their own country. So as Childnet is part of the UK Safer Internet Centre, we organise Safer Internet Day in the UK, which is on the 5th of February. And the theme is around online rights and responsibilities. And the slogan this year is Connect with Respect. And we're really signalling out to people, to parents and carers and others that work with children and children and young people themselves, make this the day that you really think about this issue. Do you know how to stay safe online and protect your own uh, information, reputation, etc.? And do you know how to be a good friend online? Do you know how to look after others online? We really want to try and make this a timely moment for people to stop and think about how they use the technology uh, and whether they can use it better and safer. And what we're trying to do is trying to engage with a wide range of different organisations to help come and join us to celebrate this particular day. So we've been working with uh, with industry, with government, with uh, schools uh, to try and get as much happening on the day as we possibly can. And the more people we have shouting out on the stage about this is Safer Internet Day, 
so much the better. We'll keep saying safer internet day in this safer interview. Safer internet day, Sid. Just remember Sid. Sid. Yeah, it's a nice yeah, catch. Reminds thing, me of the old British gas uh, <laughs> yes, adverts right. years ago. Yes, right. It's a hot topic at the moment. The government, uh, well, David Cameron's guru on this area was quite outspoken in her first interview at the weekend. Um, Diane Abbott today has announced she's making a speech tonight saying that there's a pornification process going on in the UK. Sexting is suddenly a buzzword that's going around. Um, and it's one of those things I suppose people are kind of waking up to a reality that's going on anyway. This is a discussion that actually we've been having for a number of years. Uh, I think the technology is moving forward and the discussion changes and its nuances around. But pornography, discussions about pornography on the internet have been around for, for a long time. But what we've seen is a, is a complete shift in the, the way the internet is accessed which has perhaps changed the, the level of the debate a bit. Now you don't need to be literate in order to navigate. Not that you really needed to be literate before. You could always click on icons at different places using a mouse, but now it's touch screen. The accessibility of technology has gone tumbling down through the years. If you look on YouTube or such like, you can find incredible clips of two-year-olds, sometimes even less, turning on technology finding the thing that they want to do and then start engaging with a particular activity using the technology. So you can just see it's tumbled down the years. Then the level of ownership has, has completely changed where now you're seeing smartphones, you know, that being the, the common uh, technology for teens. And again, we're seeing that start to tumble down the age group. So there is that personal private access to the internet in a portable way, even with laptops and wireless which wasn't there before, where you had a family computer. So we've seen some things which have changed. The issue around pornography and protecting children from pornography is an important one, and it's important that, that, we, that well, we know that there are tools there which are free that parents can use, and all the, four IS, the big four ISPs have them, the mobile operators have these tools. The tools are there. Even devices have tools. Uh, and we want to get the message out to parents that these are free and you can set them up and you can use them. And we really encourage people to do it with the caveat that, and that perhaps complicates the message, is it's not a total solution. Yeah. Content is one of the safer internet issues that there are. There are the other issues around cyberbullying and contact, contact with strangers that you don't know. There's the issue of commercialism. And there's also the issue of conduct, how you behave online. And perhaps that one incorporates the sexting issue that you were talking about content that you create of yourself, your personal information that you then share with others. That's another risk that we need to incorporate. So and that, that really spans the ages. You're talking about two-year-olds, but also there's a message there for the older teenager just to think about what it is they're putting on the internet about themselves. Yeah, I mean, you, I've, heard it, I've heard it described in so many different ways. A digital tattoo, yeah. you know, you put something online, it's quite hard to remove if you can remove it at all. You really need to think about the longer-term consequences of what you do. I think before you post message. The spontaneity enabled by this technology where you can get a message and you can respond to it like that, with this, get the phone out of your pocket and do it it's a very different thing you know even five years ago you think god that email i got this got me really angry i'm gonna I, when i get back to my home i'm gonna <laughs> go to my computer i'm gonna send that i'm gonna respond to that but over the passage of time you've had time to reflect on what it was that you received and what it is that you're going to do in response but the spontaneity of the technology that allows you can do things so quickly and we just want to really encourage people to take a breath and take a moment to think about what they do because 
We know that employers and universities do look at people's online profile sure. and, and such and record and digital footprint if they can see it about well what is what is this person really like I can see what they are on the CV but what else can I find out about them and we want to make sure that people are thinking ahead about the longer-term consequences you can also think about it. the grands test is another word that you can look at it if, if you're happy for your grand to see it then okay then that might be a reasonable way about what is okay and what is not okay Do you think Quentin Tarantino <laughs> thinks that when he makes his films <laughs> yeah. would Granny Tarantino be happy with this Granny Tarantino that's an interesting idea. yeah it is isn't it so more specifically um, Safer Internet Day uh, I think you're interviewing one of our chaps David Austin is going yes. to be on the radio how people people access this radio it's stream an on, it's an online radio um, and you can go to the saferinternet.org.uk and it's a 12-hour radio program and it's actually the third year we've been doing it and it's a great resource I mean we don't expect people to listen to all 12 hours but we would expect you to find something on the, the menu which you might find really useful or interesting whether it's about hearing from parents about issues or, or strategies that they've decided hearing about you from young people about these are the things that worry me, this is what I want more help with, this is what I want parents to know, or whether it's from hearing about the academics, about the research or industry, about what they are doing. It's all kind of spread across this 12-hour programme and it's then available as, as podcasts after the, after the thing, so you can go back and, and return to it and, and listen to it. So, yeah, really great resource. And I was going to say after February the 5th, because, of course, this is a podcast that some people will have downloaded after the date. Um, where can people go if they do want to know a bit about some help and advice for them or children about being safer on the internet? Well, um, saferinternet.org.uk is, is, a, is a great place. It's the site of the UK Safer Internet Centre, which we form a part of, and you can find resources for younger children, older children, parents and carers, uh, it's, yeah, teachers and professionals. It's all there. Some of those resources come from us, some come from other organisations, and it's kind of a good central place where people can find out more. We have our childnet.com website where there is information, but there are other organisations. If you have an internet service provider or a mobile operator, check out their websites for the safety pages and they might be able to give you more specific advice about particular technologies that you're using. So there is lots of advice there that people can find. For Safer Internet Day, it's all on the Safer Internet Centre website. We've done a, an incredible survey where we've had responses from 24,000 children across the UK, primary and secondary, saying what they think their online rights and responsibilities are. And we shall be releasing that on Safer Internet Day. Uh, but it is a really useful insight. Is that they've kind of formed a charter of 10 rights and responsibilities. These are the things that we find are important to us. And it covers a wide range of things. I won't give too much away because it's coming out on the 5th and if people are listening before it will spoil the surprise but it will be it will give really useful insight and what we're hoping to do is to kind of capture all of that information and then uh, deliver that to a high-profile politician and try and really give young people the voice that the, the ears of policymakers on the day that's the plan Brilliant. Well, thank you very much indeed. I'm really pleased that we caught up. We've both now got to trundle back through the tunnel, the snow. do That's some right. battle with Eurostar and make sure we get home. Good. Thanks very much. Well, we did indeed get back safely, I can tell you. That was Will Gardner from Childnet International talking to me about Safer Internet Day, February the 5th. That takes place. The website really is worth a visit, particularly if you've got young children, you're involved in schools. Uh, as always, tucked away and often it's quite difficult for smaller organisations to get all the publicity they need to make people aware of their services. But there is a wealth of, uh, of stuff there. Actually, on the Metro 
in Brussels, uh, Will handed me a book called DigiDuck's Big Decision, which is a really lovely, well-illustrated reading book for, I would say, sort of five to eight-year-olds, uh, depending where they are on their reading scales. And of course, it ties in a message about being safe uh, when you go online. You can never start too early. So really worth a visit to, to the website for all that information. Now, our second uh, interview for this edition of the podcast, again, looking outside our core work of classifying content. This is Fact Federation Against Copyright Theft. And principally, we have an onus to the industry. We get a lot of uh, material into the building in Soho Square before it's released. And commercially, of course, that's very valuable and very sensitive. Uh, we are very careful. We have our own security measures in terms of how we deal with that. New challenges ahead with uh, well, the loss of physical media um, for us, but something we're working on. But I caught up with Eddie Leverton from FACT. I started off by asking him basically how FACT as an organisation operates. FACT uh, this year will have been around for 30 years, so we, it's quite a milestone for us. Um, and FACT represents uh, members, so we're a trade organisation in the audiovisual sector predominantly. Um, so that includes film distributors, both independent and major Hollywood distributors, uh, broadcast companies such as Sky and the BBC and ITV, uh, and also people involved in sports rights uh, ownership such as the Premier League. The fact actually came out of um, the fact that ET, which was released in 82-83, was very, very heavily pirated. And the industry woke up and realised they needed to do something, so started funding a body. And we uh, protect their intellectual property. That's a very sort of short one line that we like to give out. Um, intellectual property is basically the creative content that people have created uh, and put out. And protect their livelihoods ultimately, because this isn't just about businesses. This is actually about the jobs of the people working in the creative industry in the UK. And this is classically, we imagine somebody in the back of a cinema with a video camera filming off the screen. Does that still happen? Yeah, uh, yes. The, the, the major way that a, a new release picture will get recorded and then now uploaded to the internet, but also burnt onto DVD, um, is through somebody recording it in a cinema. So somebody will sit there, predominantly now with um, uh, smartphones and mobile devices, um, and they will record it, get the sound and the video, and then edit it, upload it to the internet, compress it to, so it becomes a smaller file. Um, we're very lucky in the UK that we have a, um, a very, very successful scheme that is funded by the Film Distributors Association um, that uh, educates and trains cinema staff and provides um, deterrence to people recording in cinema, so we have warning notices that go up in cinemas as well. Um, and we, uh, the, the, the FDA, the Film Distributors Association, also um, fund the provision of night vision goggles. So if you've been in a cinema and you've seen somebody looking at you from like the front of the cinema... Special Forces like soldier. But don't worry, they're not trying to target you with a laser sight. Yeah. It's just they're just looking out for, um, for uh, anybody trying to record the film illegally. And there are quite clear notices and warnings before a film as well. Um, so, and in fact, in the UK, we've had a very successful period. We've had no UK sourced recordings. So all the recordings that are coming into the UK or available on the internet are being recorded in other places such as the US or Canada or uh, parts of Asia or um, other countries in the world as well. So you think you've got the message across from that from that source point of view in the UK? Well, we've got the message across to cinema staff, but we're getting uh, more than one person a week stopped for recording in a cinema. So um, in what, the UK, in the UK, yeah, and and that you know that doesn't always mean the police are going to be called, but in some instances they may be where we think or the cinema staff believe that that somebody is actually attempting to record the whole film. So the simple message is. 
the warning comes up before the film, just put your phone away and enjoy the film. Um, I know if Mark Kermode's listening to this, he would probably agree with me yeah, as well. well. Absolutely, we all would, I think. The internet, you mentioned there, in passing, I mean, things have become fantastically more complicated for you in terms of the distribution of pirated oh. material. How do you even begin to stop that? Well, first of all, we know that we cannot stop piracy completely. It's a bit like saying you're going to stop all car crime or all burglary. But what we want to do is put measures in place and deterrents in place that are going to prevent that happening as much as we can. So we have a, a strategy that looks at all aspects of piracy, which includes still DVDs being sold on markets and car boot sales and outside train stations and tube stations or in supermarket car parks. But most of our focus is on the internet. And the focus actually is on the people running the websites, providing the, the source material, so making the films available, not on the end user. So we're not in the business of um, you know, um, sending a notice or knocking on people's door to somebody who's downloaded a file. There, there may be measures in place through the Digital Economy Act that will deal with that. What we actually want to do is to provide a deterrent to people who might be running a pirate website, who might be uh, thinking of recording a film in a cinema so they're not going to do it and not get involved in criminal activity because it's been proven time and time again that this is criminal activity. So recording in a cinema, we've had five convictions in the UK, five successful criminal convictions, four for fraud and one for Copyright Designs and Patents Act. So those people have got a, a black mark against their, against their name. Uh, one person went to jail for a short period of time as well. Um, uh, there was a case over the summer, um, a man called Anton Vickerman who was running a website called Surf the Channel who is now in jail for four years for running a pirate website wow. and that was a, a criminal prosecution that we brought at fact. Eddie, we had some questions in from our followers on Twitter so I wanted to throw a couple of those at you. Uh, one of them is actually that two people chipped in on this, this one point which is why do I have to watch anti-piracy ads in the cinema having paid for a ticket better to advertise at car boot sales. Uh, that was from Stuart Barr. And a man called Dan Orty chipped in on that, saying, why not even target torrent sites? Brackets, I'm being serious. I well, mean, that's where the piracy is happening, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Interesting, markets and car boot fares, uh, we've seen a, a, a substantial drop in, in recent years. But we do have a, we actually have a campaign there, which is talking about positive messaging, we're actually promoting um, the safe uh, and legitimate markets and car boot fairs. It's called the Real Deal Campaign. And you can check out the website at uh, realdealmarkets.co.uk. And there we have something like 250 um, uh, local authorities who have signed up to um, a scheme where the market operator, the people who are running the market, um, agree to um, not allow counterfeit goods of any kind to be sold on their markets. The local authority agreed to help them police that as well. The idea of advertising on torrent sites is, is, a, is a tricky one because if you are going to advertise on those sites, you're then giving them sure, no, revenues. Just before we answer that, let's just explain what torrent sites yes. are because not everybody will understand that, but this is a, a form of peer-to-peer -peer sharing. Yes, yeah, people call it file sharing, but yes, torrent sites are... Um, torrents is, is, is one way of, of sharing big files around the internet, so it splits it up into lots of little bits and makes it available. That, that's a very, very simple way of explaining it. But there are sites that provide the access to that, so you kind of go to a website which will then link you out to where you can find these, these, these files. The torrent uh, protocol, the, the software itself, is not illegal. It can be used for legitimate means. But um, in our experience, most of the stuff that is available on torrent networks is there without the permission of the copyright owner. Um, so the idea of advertising on there is, you know, you, we would then be funding criminal activity, which can cause 
problems as you can Absolutely. imagine. We do talk to um, some of the the uh, the sites and the the the, the uh, um, journalists and the, the the bloggers out there who are perhaps have a less than favourable opinion of us. So you know the. There's a, um, a site called Torrent Freak out there, which often gets a lot of the, the, the news quite early. And um, those of you who um, follow this kind of area will probably have that bookmarked. Um, but we're ha- quite happy to talk to them when we can. And you know, my view is, you know, we, we, we don't have anything to hide. The only time we can't comment is when there's an ongoing criminal investigation, mm. um, which we, we, you know, the same as the police wouldn't comment or the CPS wouldn't comment as well. But you know, we 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 follow, um, you know correct legal procedures we follow the letter of the law um, but we have to abide by the law when it comes to commenting on particular criminal investigations eddie leverton from the federation against copyright theft well that's it from me thank you very much indeed for joining us for podcast 10 from the bbfc number 11 we'll be back to a more traditional format we're going to discuss a hot topic if you'd like to contact me and suggest a hot topic for the uh, podcast, you can do that. Our email address is podcast at bbfc.co.uk. Now, we've had a couple of questions, um, uh, quite detailed questions that have come in since the last podcast. I'm not going to deal with those in this edition because it's slightly different. When I have a co-presenter, my next edition, we are going to go through the questions that we've had submitted uh, to that email address. Again, podcast at bbfc.co.uk. But until next time, thank you so much for downloading. Thank you to our editor, Catherine Anderson. And we will see you again. Bye. Well, the censor's views on the quality of films are a little suspect as he was a greatly failed television director himself and out of work as he was so awful and therefore took the job of film censor, which he does appallingly.